American history is full of the good, bad, and everything in between. But in the end, these are our stories. Today's episode will cover American Loyalist, Lord Cornwallis, and North Carolina in the American Revolution. So pull up a chair and join your host Jacob for a brand new episode on the Battle of Guilford Courthouse to the end of the world. Welcome to a brand new episode of The History Book. As the introduction said today, this episode will discuss the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. Before we jump into the battle itself and the outcome, we need to set the scene in North Carolina at the time of the battle in March of 1781. Like the rest of the colonies under the British crown, North Carolina faced growing unrest as the British Empire continued to levy more taxes against the colonies. North Carolina even erupted into a rebellion known as the Regulator Movement. The Regulators were a group of farmers in the Piedmont area of the state that took up arms against the North Carolina colonial government over perceived corruption in the government. Governor William Tyrone arrived in North Carolina in 1765, and his arrival signaled the organization of the Regulators under Herman Husband, James Hunter, and Benjamin Morrill. The Regulators entered Hillsborough and destroyed shops, left human waste on a judge's chair, and burned a barn to the ground. This all led to the Battle of Alamance, when the forces under Governor Tyrone, led by Hugh Waldell, met a force of regulators. That last name Waldell may sound familiar to some of our previous listeners, as his descendant was the one, Albert Moore Waldell, of the Wilmington Race Riot. Tyrone's militia was able to defeat the regulators with only nine deaths on both sides. After the battle, six regulator leaders were hung for crimes committed. Tyrone's replacement, Governor Martin, was ineffective at quelling the American Revolutionary fever in North Carolina, as much of the local governments were already under control of revolutionaries, and they protected the protests against the British taxes. This brings the timeline to the outbreak of the violence at Lexington and Concord, and on May 31, 1775, the Mecklenburg County Committee of Safety issued the Mecklenburg Declaration, calling for an end to British rule over North Carolina. Another meeting on April 12, 1776, passed what would be known as the Halifax Resolves, which is considered the first official action of independence by an American colony. When war broke out in full force, North Carolina signed up for the Continental Army and joined in their local militias. As was the case with everywhere in the British Army occupied, loyalists to the Crown would emerge, and North Carolina was no different. This led to British Lieutenant General Lord Charles Cornwallis to launch his southern strategy towards South Carolina and North Carolina. Battles at Camden and Cowpens devastated Cornwallis' army in South Carolina, and this is when he turned his attention to North Carolina and Guilford Courthouse en route to occupy Wilmington. Right now, we're going to take a brief social media break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the actual battle. Hello everyone, this is the host and producer of The History Book, Jacob, here to remind you that you can stay in touch with me and The History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com. As always, feel free to say hi, or even leave a review of your favorite episode on Apple Podcast as well. Thanks, now let's get back to the episode. Thanks for staying tuned to that brief break. As I was saying before, 
Lord General Cornwallis had turned his attention to the Old North State in hopes of occupying Wilmington, North Carolina and arousing loyalists across the state. After the Battle of Calpins, Cornwallis pursued General Nathaniel Greene into North Carolina. As British officer Charles O'Hare described it, quote, In this situation, without baggage, necessaries, or provisions of any sort, it was resolved to follow Greene's army to the end of the world. End quote. While in North Carolina, Cornwallis was left with little to no food for his men, and was forced to raid Loyalist and Continental homes for supplies. This, along with several massacres and the defeat of Major Patrick Ferguson at the Battle of Kings Mountain, killed the Loyalist fever in the area and inflamed the revolutionaries. On March 14, 1781, Cornwallis learned that Greene, along with Light Horse Henry Lee, had arrived at Guilford Courthouse and marched his army with Banistray Tarlington, meeting Lee in a brief skirmish that saw Tarlington shot in his hand and losing two fingers. General Greene deployed his troops in three lines. The first line was filled with North Carolina militia. The second was Virginia militia, and the last was Continental regulars. When the British Army approached, the North Carolina militia opened up what was referred to as, quote, a most ghastly and galley destructive fire, end quote. The British were able to push forward and meet the Virginia militia in the woods behind the North Carolina line that had retreated through the second of Greene's lines. The British were again able to push the second Virginia militia line back, even with General Cornwallis having a horse shot out from under him. As the British came within 100 feet of the Continental regular lines, a bayonet charge sent them back. This led to General Cornwallis opening grape shot to be fired into the mass of fighting men in the woods. This explosion of artillery killed both Americans and British, but cleared the woods and opened up a gap with the Continental Line. General Greene was forced to order his troops to retreat around 3.30 p.m. under the cover of fire from the Virginia militia. General Cornwallis' repeated push of his already hungry and weakened troops devastated his army despite winning the battle and occupying Wilmington as a resupply base. The battle lasted about 90 minutes, and resulted in almost a quarter of the British forces being casualties. Right now, we're going to take a brief music break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the aftermath of the battle. Thanks for staying tuned through that brief break. As General Greene's army retreated, they had accomplished their primary goal of not being destroyed. Greene, much like Washington to the north, knew if he kept an intact army in the field in the Carolinas, he could keep fighting and eventually get the British crown to sue for peace. General Cornwallis, on the other hand, had almost destroyed his entire army to destroy Greene. When word reached back to the British Parliament, war critic Charles James Fox remarked, quote, Another such victory would ruin the British army. End quote. Cornwallis lost additional men when he occupied the expansive woodlands of the battle. With no food, no shelter, and heavy rainfall, and an additional 50 of Cornwallis's wounded died by sunrise on March 16, 1781. Two days after the battle, Cornwallis reported that his casualties were 526 
and Green reported of around 1309 to 1426 casualties. Cornwallis raised the royal standard as his camp and offered protection for any loyalists, but would soon leave to Wilmington to re-outfit his army. However, this decision would ultimately lead Cornwallis to Yorktown. He argued to General Clinton that he needed to march into Virginia to secure the southern colonies. Along his march to Yorktown, Cornwallis raided every plantation he could find and freed slaves of the thousands, with over 12,000 of them joining his own army. General George Washington and French commander Rochambeau planned an attack on Cornwallis in Yorktown, who was not as organized or prepared as the British troops already in New York. Washington sent troops under the command of Marquis de Lafayette south to Yorktown. Confused by these troop movements, General Clinton ordered Cornwallis to gather along the coast so that he could evacuate the British troops north to protect New York, which led to Cornwallis being in Yorktown along the coast, where he was successfully trapped between the Continental Army and the French-Spanish naval forces. At the Battle of Yorktown, Lord General Cornwallis had his deputy surrender on his behalf on October 19, 1781, and America won its independence. Right now, we're going to take a brief music break, and when we come back, we will talk about what's coming up for the history book. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our next episode will be out on July 21st, and it will be on Thomas Paine, Spark of Revolution. As always, this has been Jacob with the History Book, and I'll see you next time.